it. I can be me in sag jeans, black converse, short hair, butch made pores, unscrubbed. Or I can wear tees with the sleeves cut off them. I can be a golden girl dressing up for Congress, something in the prom dress. But you know you want this. We're all born naked and the rest is dragged on this. We all motherfucking queens, we flawless. Come on, hop, mess, show that you got this. Yeah, we are motherfucking queens in this world. So Hi Felicia is a podcast that I started with the idea of having conversations on a variety of topics, trying to do a deep dive, um, maybe knowing something about the person, maybe not. Um, One of my guilty pleasures is um, Criminal Minds and the team at the BAU, and they always profile a serial killer or an unsub by the fact that, that they usually start in a geographical location that's comfortable to them. So I, I do do that. So I am using friends and family and friends of friends and Facebook friends, for folks who are basically in my sphere at first, to interview and have some conversations. Because I've always been curious about um, you know, where people come from, what their interests are, and I get really jazzed about talking to someone who's really enthusiastic about a subject that maybe I know a little bit about, maybe I know nothing about. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with my different guests. And um, please feel free to comment, send questions, um, or send suggestions for guests that you think might be interested uh, to be on Hi Felicia. You're constantly told that our bodies are worth it If they ain't perfect, this shit ain't working We are constantly told our voices don't matter Bitch, quit your chatter cause it's all a pageant But we're done posing It's time to expose If we are all queens in this world Or earls and I'm ready for my phone, bitch Let's own it, own it, own it Yo, it's time for us to own it, yeah So we're breaking tradition, and I'm going to be reading my own bio for this one. So I thought it would be funny to read both my professional bio that's on the Somerville Media Center website and then also my wrestling bio. So this is the professional one, and this is the all you would know if you didn't know about my alter ego that I'll talk about at length in this episode. So Heather McCormick is a six-year resident of Somerville. That's a lie now. I live in Everett. I, I broke up with Somerville because it was too expensive, sorry, who is passionate about using the power of community media to engage all people, especially those who are traditionally underrepresented in telling their stories in ways that are empowering, accessible, and active in promoting social change. She graduated from the University of Massachusetts Amherst in 2010 with a BA in communication and a certificate in Latin American, Caribbean, and Latino studies. After graduation, she worked at the Mystic Learning Center in Somerville, where she worked with youth age 5 to 21 in the Mystic Housing Development and developed a number of media and creative arts programs, including the Wild Tales Youth Theater Program. In 2015, she received her Master's of Ed from the Harvard Graduate School of Education's Prevention Science and Practice Program, winning the coveted Intellectual contribution faculty tribute award additionally she has been involved in radio since the age of 14 where she got her first radio show at whab in acton boxborough regional high school and is thrilled to be able to unite her multiple passions into her role at SCAT tv as the youth media coordinator and boston free radio manager 
bam. That was when I was brand new, so that was that. And then here's the bio for Pammy, old Pam. A badass bargain hunter born out of the banks of Wollaston Beach. Pammy, with 12, count them 12, M's, half of them are silent, you get to pick which half, is a maelstrom of misplaced middle-aged rage who likes to scrap with the Sabaros boys, the Ames girls, and everyone in between, so long as it's in the parking lot of a long-dead mall. One half of the Bradley's Babes tag team, her and her totally platonic life partner in crime Cheryl, pledge allegiance to the defunct retail gods, binging on Betamax and huffing extra hold hairspray so they don't see straight no more. Always a mom, Jean, but never a mom. Old Pam is ready to bring the pain on no goodniks, ragamuffins, and anyone who preens around her neighborhood with technology or outfits popularized after the year of our Lord 1994, though her Catholic guilt might provide a teensy bit of mercy. Catch her breaking next with her signature move, the everything must go, and, and putting any sucker in her path on layaway forever. <laughs> <laughs> I am here today on Hi Felicia, and I am your host, Felicia Ryan. I did that a little backwards, but my guest today is Heather McCormick. She is fabulously talented sound editor who makes me sound smooth and, I guess, we'll say silky, like a cat or something. <laughs> so elegant. Yes. And... Um, we bonded already over magenta, or you're saying you're saying fuchsia. It's okay, you know. Okay, you color. say magenta, I say magento. Okay, I don't say that. That's good. <laughs> so I I wanted to have you on the podcast today because um, I know that you're a woman of many talents, and uh, several of the guests that I've had on, we've talked about this idea that nobody just does one thing anymore. Mm. That gig economy, us, us millennials and that gig economy. <laughs> I think it's even more than that. Yeah, we're, we're allowed to have multiple interests and passions now, and uh, it's a sort of more acceptable thing. Mm -hmm. Like, there's probably still people out there that just are doctors and lawyers, and that's their focus, and hey, bravo to them. But when someone asks you the dreaded, what do you do, mm, yes, how do you answer right. that? Oh, I used to have like an ability to like rat like a, a pride and sort of like rattling it off and being like, I have two, you know, three jobs, two bands and a wrestling league and a podcast. And uh, now it's down to, well, I just I just wrapped up my Harvard, the Harvard class that I'm a teaching fellow for right just last week. So that's that's pretty much done. So that's so I'm down to one full time job and then the side hustle with the podcast education and audio editing and stuff like that. Um, and then I I, I said goodbye to one band that I had been in for 10 years that I, it was a, a labor of love that I, I love very much and um, I, I we had our last show in, in March so I no longer have that band. I'm kind of like sort of practicing with some people trying to get maybe a new band together but who knows. 
and then the wrestling league that's still happening and the podcast definitely still happening so the wrestling league has kind of taken over like even more so and my life has gotten more and more um kind of intense and uh taking up space so i think it made sense i made some room for wrestling to, <laughs> to take I over i think this is amazing and fascinating tell tell me about the wrestling okay cool so i am in the boston league of wicked wrestlers um we are a explicitly queer um feminist uh, wrestling league. Um, our whole intention is to create a space for um, primarily marginalized people to um, be part of the narrative of wrestling as the superheroes and to beat up on um, injustice, basically, but in not so heavy-handed of a way and really ridiculous and absurd and funny um, and then technically skilled ways because now we are starting to or have been um, training for our very first ring show. So we're going to actually have a full springboard ring. In the past, we kind of um, had have done our shows um, you know, on gym mats on the ground at different like punk clubs and festivals and stuff like that um i joined about five years ago and in that time it has really transformed it started in 2004 i think way before i was involved in it and um you know it was kind of like a fun brawly boozy league where specifically mostly cis women were were the the main cast um of characters and there were some supporting people and stuff and again it was like wrestling on gym mats at punk shows which is fine and fun but um two years ago we had a we made a decision to rebrand and redefine ourselves Mm -hmm. and and you know realize like not all of us even in the group were were women so it was like okay it's time to be more explicit about who this is we're we're here for trans folks for non-binary folks uh for um basically anybody on the gender spectrum that's not a cis man to come in and be a part of the story Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah and so since we did that uh we've been super successful we started uh doing more theatrical shows at the rockwell and um we've been doing you know selling those shows out weeks in advance for a long time and we decided it's time for us to like go to the next frontier so now we're really we're training like two to three times a week with a wrestling couple different wrestling schools and wrestling trainers who are like some of whom are really old school like you know wrestlers uh one of the guys that we're working with right now is um his name is Bo Douglas from and he runs the Bell Time Club in Wakefield and um he's an old school Somerville dude he was trained by Killer Kowalski and uh that actually started out in Malden that was Killer Kowalski had yes. his own uh wrestling school in Malden so um anyway so he's like he you know Killer Kowalski's a legend and Bo Douglas is a legend and, and he's taken us into his wrestling family and is training us now um, and getting us ready, ring ready, so that we can body slam in uh, in, in in beautiful form <laughs> for uh, our big show on the 31st of May. I love that you guys did this in a very conscious way where there's like a social justice aspect to it, but there is also... Um, like traditional wrestling yeah. has the white hero in there against some sort of uh, person of color foe. Mm-hmm. And I love that you guys are flipping that on its head. And you're also making it uh, feminist feminist centered yeah. because like if you've ever uh, followed wrestling or even watched the right. show Glow it really is about like exploiting mm-hmm. women yep. um, there may be some interesting storylines within that that you know there's an unexpected hero however right. I love that you guys are flipping that and put it you know putting 
putting toppling it on its head right. and, and saying literally yeah that's <laughs> very cool well and also sometimes um folks who are non-cis who are transgender or non-binary are working through issues in terms of uh how they think about their bodies mm-hmm. and their physicality so that's a really nice right. way to combine uh, those things in a conscious way, but also in a fun way. Yeah, right. And I mean, a lot of people in our, you know, have experienced trauma or sexual yeah. assault or yeah. abuse, and and it's another way of like reclaiming violence as a consensual yes. art form and as a performance and as something that we have control over that narrative, right. um, where we don't always, you know, often get control over that narrative. We're often, right. you know, the victims of that narrative. So this is like, no, we're gonna, you know, we're taking it back, and we're gonna make sure that we're the heroes of our universe we're right. we're we're the stars of the show and we all of the storylines and all the characters are um you know very lo- lovingly drawn from our own experiences and often with wrestling you know you get to like caricaturize these elements of yourself yeah, yeah. or your experience and um and like reclaim that you know like my character is like an old salty um cranky department store broad from the Bradley's department store back in 1994 and I still work here and <laughs> nothing's ever gonna change and I drink my Dunkin Donuts all extra 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 all cream all sugar no coffee six foam cups you know like I'm t- you, you can you picture of course actually so I'm some misty light 120s honey <laughs> let's get it clear um, and you know it's like people in my extended family it's like uh, people that I've known and grown up around around um and and also just like an insane storyline that we've developed where the bradley's babes pammy and cheryl and we work together but um you know and uh yeah and and that's the kind of thing that goes over with the crowd the crowd is like what like we love this you know what i mean it's it's who comes to the shows so yeah so that's another big big interesting thing about what we do which is um that in terms of the audience that we really um, reach, it's mostly um, folks who would never otherwise be going to a wrestling show. Maybe maybe folks who recently, I, a lot of people I know have been into more of um, like NXT, which is like an indie, independent wrestling, um, but still the independent wrestling circuit still doesn't like have a lot of space um, for like female bodies or for yeah. non-cis men basically right. in general. Um, it's getting better and so and things are changing but it's like also if you grow up and you never see people like you in the ring then you're not going to want to pursue it because it's right. a lot of hard work and it's like uh, you know it's very physical <laughs> very very physical yeah. like every Tuesday and Thursday I'm going down to Wakefield and doing 240 squats and doing you know push ups off of the ropes and, and you know front flips onto your back and back yeah. back yeah. bumps where you're you're just smashing yourself up against <laughs> a springboard over and over again like that springboard is, is just plywood just so people know and uh, you know, it's not—it's not like magical. It's not like a gymnastics mat, you know, that has the foam and the the springy bounciness. This is—that's <laughs> no. <laughs> so, it's a—it's a lot of work. And so, if you don't see people like you that are represented in that art form and that you know sport, then you're not gonna want to pursue that. So it kind of just like you know we hear all about women in STEM and all this other stuff. It's like it—it's it, slowly changing, but. Um, but we were like, you know, Blow originally came out of just a group of people, a group of, of women, prim- you know, who were like, we want to, f- we just want to fucking wrestle. Like, we just want to get down and dirty and be ridiculous. And like that, um, you know, and we're not going to try to fit into the landscape that's already been created. We're going to just create our whole new thing. And so 
we have huge like support from our fans. Like our fans really love what we do, and they come out and in full force, and they buy the merch, and they you know they follow us and know our catchphrases and know our really elaborate storylines. We also do a um, community access TV show here at Central Media Center, so we we work on that too. Um, but yeah, our newish our big show at the end of May um, is the first one that. It's doubling the amount of tickets we can sell. And at this point, we've already sold 225 tickets, which is crazy, which means it's definitely going to sell out before the show starts. So if people want to try and buy tickets, what they should what should they do? Oh, they should go to the Once Somerville website, or you could go to blow, B-L-O-W-W.org, and you can find out all sorts of stuff about, about us. We just actually had a premiere of a documentary that a, a group of film students from Harvard um, just did, uh, and that was this weekend and it was awesome it was so much fun um but we got to see like this very loving portrait from and it was a 16 millimeter documentary that these students made it was like a 20 minute documentary about us and now i'm like man apparently they can't submit it to festivals because they're students so now i'm like okay we gotta like (laughs) we gotta make our own we gotta make our own documentary definitely it's a cool story so how did you have you always had some sort of performance element in your life because I mean it sounds like you're involved in a lot of things that have a performance aspect to it yeah um where did that come from yeah definitely I think I was always a ham I I grew up with and you you like tangentially knew her which is wild but I grew up with my mom was a DJ at Emerson College in the early 80s and and managed bands and was really passionate about music my dad what bands did she manage I think the Del Fuegos was one of them, and there was a few others that she was, uh, La Peste, maybe, like all the early 80s, like punk music in, in mm-hmm. Boston. Um, she was a big part of, she was, she co-hosted with Carmelita, who's still yeah. on WAAF today, yeah. um, doing doing that. And um, so, yeah, she, she was like super passionate about music, and she met my dad that way. My dad was a, um, was a guitarist in a m- bunch of different punk bands, um, but The Liars is the one that probably most people knew. Um, um, but yeah, so like I grew up with music and like uh, I did like community theater and that kind of thing. I always I was always a ham. I always loved being in the spotlight. And, you know, um, when I was I was at summer camp and we I used to do theater there and then I became a theater counselor and I was really passionate about it. Um, and then like, you know, I feel like everything I do, like all of my very many jobs that I have are all related to performance in some yeah. way because like I'm an educator. Right. Which that is totally a performance like you're you're as a teacher you are going up on stage and you are you know trying to communicate a story or multiple stories or ideas mm-hmm. to a group of people and you have to do it in a way that's captivating and interesting or you don't have to but to be mm-hmm. a good educator you want to do that and and understand how people learn by relationships you know all of that is performance so and then you know music I always loved singing um, I recently in the past couple years started to teach myself drums I went and I went and did ladies rock camp in Boston oh, and and got some drum lessons and got excited about um, playing drums and I had a, a brief stint in a band where I was playing drums and singing which was a lot of fun um, I think that speaks to my love of control because like if you're the drummer and the singer you're totally in charge of everything that's happening um, my fiance would love to hear that oh. he's a he's a drummer and he sings occasionally he just finally kind of built up the courage to be uh, singing backup, so yeah, yeah, it's so much fun, and um, I love just like you know, I was in a band in high school called the Bush Administration, and we were like a feminist. <laughs> 
ska punk band <laughs> like I don't know like I've always been I've always been this way I didn't always like show it I wasn't always like in an environment where I felt like I could completely be myself growing up in like high school and the suburbs which uh, was not like a kind place to grow sure. I grew up in Acton and um, you know like it was a very rich uh, very you know very entitled bratty (laughs) white (laughs) you know suburb that I you know I grew up poor and we were you know we had section 8 housing and food stamps and all that stuff and it was like you were definitely treated like you were inferior for that and so I was definitely like not um as like like I I was not as um vulnerable and like showing myself um Mm -hmm. back then um but like college was amazing and then like ever since then I just like there's no, there's no going back. Where did you go to college? I went to UMass Amherst, um, and I lived out there for like four and a half years. Like I loved Western Mass, and I met amazing friends, and got involved with um, like activism and student organizing, and was involved in like we had a student strike, and I was um, involved in like drug law reform stuff, and that's how I met my husband and like all of my best friends, and I was in a band out there. That's when my band Solo Sex started, and we did like raunchy feminist queer hip-hop music Um, and yeah and I I loved that and then and then yeah and then I joined blow five years ago because I was like I don't have as many female friends as I would like honestly and I was like I really love performing we we were doing a show with them solo sex was like booked on a show with blow and I decided I'm gonna dress up as a wrestler and I'm gonna go and do my whole set today like in wrestling character and that'll be like my audition and they'll let me join and they were like oh yeah like send us an email (laughs) so I had to be super persistent like (laughs) I was like okay like took like six months for me to actually like for them to like get back to me to go join but I was like I'm in it um and then yeah and and yeah so everything everything that I do and the podcast that's obviously yes. that's a performance too I mean that's and that's Talk about the podcast what's the podcast name sure um so the podcast is called make it stop um we review the worst albums um of all time and the, <laughs> like or like notoriously <laughs> terrible albums or just notorious albums I mean we don't really everything that we we do is bad um recently we just did the episode with um with uh Lisa McColgan who I've met because Lisa. you are clearly friends and neighbors and co co-housed together. I don't know how you call that. Like, a, I don't know. But she's upstairs. I'm downstairs. Exactly. She's Lucy and I am Ethel. Exactly. Perfect. And so, yeah. So she she was connected to me through through the podcast class mm-hmm. and through you specifically mm-hmm. um, that I teach She wears it. a mean wig, too. Oh, I don't man. know if you've ever seen them, but... I saw the way... Yeah, so she's in Bikini Whale, and she's also just very funny, and she's starting her own podcast, and we had her on to discuss mm-hmm. Chris Gaines... Which was Garth Brooks's deeply alter, alter misguided <laughs> alter ego rock alter Didn't he have ego like black hair. Too? Ooh, yeah, black flat ironed hair and a press on soul patch. Oh. It was a bad scene, <laughs> and the music is horrible. But like the story behind it is so funny. There's like a behind the music that they created for this like fake backstory for this fake character that was this like re- this 
it, Lisa has like an advanced degree in snark too, so oh she's man. like she's good at that. Oh yeah, you can like you can like chew on her sneer in this episode. <laughs> Agreed. Anyway, so yeah, makeitstoppodcast.com. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, you guys are fun. Like I love that you do sometimes video when you're on the air, or you yeah. can see you see see the crew out there, and you're obviously having fun, and it's like really like silly to listen to. Yeah, and everybody loves to talk about something that they hate, like like. Let's make fun of this music right, exactly. that we hate. So if you ever talk about Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. Or... That's definitely on our list. So if you want a, the saved album. Oh, I hate Bob Dylan. Oh, really? So you don't even like him at all. But yeah. then he has, I, it's the I worst res- album by him. Yeah, no, I can I... respect the songwriting and the mission behind it. But the whole like persona of who he is, it just, I mean, I it. it's like the ultimate marketing. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I'm not a. F- I'm also not a fan. A big fan of Bob Dylan. Well, but I also hate Neil Young too. So I don't really have strong feelings on Neil Young. Yeah, but like, I would be down to make fun of him feelings. with you. Okay. Yeah. So you can invite me. I like. I like taking down the sacred cows of music yes. too. That's yes. really nice. Like the Eminem episode where I was just able to like really eviscerate Eminem <laughs> and be like, "What are you doing? Like, <laughs> why was I into this when I was thirteen? I mean, I know why I was into it when I was thirteen. But like, God, you're forty something years old. Like, it is time yeah. to." Stop, you know. Pull up your pants. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, just, or just, yeah. Ugh. But yeah, so it's, ni- it's nice to take down. And like, Justin Timberlake, oh my God, his latest album was absolute trash. Like, it was so poorly there's conceived. Some, there's a lot of the times, too, when I'm out and about and I'm we're seeing bands, um, I can respect the individual players, but like, if it's like four or five white guys up there just like doodling around on their oh instruments, I think. If Fish. You, if you were all women... <laughs> Someone at some point would have been like, take your shirt off. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, only, like, white cis guys would get away with that crap. You're like, absolutely correct. Like, come on. There's, or I have a, I actually, I'm a coach as well. I do life coaching and health and wellness coaching. One of my private clients has this amazing voice. Yeah. And she's like, I'm out of my dreams. Bucket list dreams is to be a jazz singer, blues singer. And she's like, but I'm only about 60%. And I was like, do you know, like the Rolling Stones are only at 20%. Like, get up there and do it. Like, you have the chops. Well, and that totally goes back to, like, the idea of, like, how many women... Um, don't apply for jobs, even though the one, even though they're yes. very like qualified for them, but they're like, oh, if I'm not like a hundred or like ninety percent qualified, then I'm not going to apply. Where like a man will like apply if they're like sixty percent qualified, yes. which is like, yes. yeah. And like, I think where is that? Is it a, is it entitlement? Is it privilege? Is it just a, a gender privilege? Like what is that? It's 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 the ingrained belief because of the society that we live in. Just like myself as a white person, I have ingrained yes. you know beliefs. I'm bathed in white supremacy, right? Yes. Like men are, and all anybody is bathed in the patriarchy. Like we yes. we you know we don't even recognize it. It's just uh, like right. so much a part of who we are. And so the the difference is whether you are intentional about unpacking it and right. being aware of it and cho- choosing to not look away from that, right? Right. And look deep into the core of where that comes from and why that is toxic, right. ultimately, to all of us. Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely just like you're you're 
completely immersed in the belief that you are good and you're worthy and you're, you know, you your voice the, matters yeah. and your opinion matters and that you've earned, you know, what you've gotten. And it also goes back into meritocracy and that myth and just yeah. like this idea. Um, and it's a really like deeply, deeply held, deeply ingrained idea in yes. a lot of people. Um, and when people are challenged on it, I think they only hear the anger of somebody challenging. They, they hear right. the anger behind it. They don't. And then they close, shut down and are like, oh, I'm not the thing you're accusing me of. Right. Like, I'm I'm a good person. And like, it's yes, It's like you sure. can be a good person yes. and also recognize that you have been socialized in a racist society and probably have racist, racist beliefs that you yes. have to unpack for the rest of your life. Or that we all have a naturally <laughs> doesn't in, make me a bad person to right. admit that <laughs> or a naturally ingrained bias about something right. or our blind spot we all have blind spots yeah. come on and i will say this i think it does it's not that you're a bad person but you're not doing you're not fulfilling your role as like a, a human being if you're not willing to 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 be called on this stuff right. i know it's hard and i know the approach can be difficult but like it does say something about your character when you are faced with the awareness and the, and and at this point I'm sorry like nobody can really say that they don't have access to the understanding of like social justice right like you do like anybody has access to the internet can like do some light reading and catch up on some like concepts that are really very important like intersectionality and like you know the fact that like we have an ascribed identity and an affirmed identity and we have you know there are ways of us existing in the world that are based on our social you know position and like that isn't necessarily our fault right like we are born into certain things that like we can't give back but it's our responsibility to you know disrupt those systems in whatever ways that we can or or just be aware of our position in those systems like this is not it's not super rocket science like you can sit down and have a conversation and the reality is that people don't want that their their view of themselves as good and virtuous and important and valuable and you know inherently inherently good to be challenged in any way right when when do you think you had that first realization for yourself that like you became aware of that as an issue and then sort of how did you in Incorporate that into looking at yourself around yeah, that. That's a great question. Like, I did not get the language for like what I was experiencing in terms of my like class background and like understanding. Like, I just internalized a lot of classism, basically, is what I did. And I didn't realize that they these were concepts. Like, I didn't know any of these things because again, I went to school in Acton, public school that's like consistently ranked one of the best in the you know yeah, in the state yeah, in the country. Yeah. But they didn't think it was important to teach us about racism or classism or right. gen or you know because it didn't feminism. exist for them right exactly it was it, it, it's mind-blowing to me looking back on it because i feel like that's such a fundamental foundational part of it should be so critical to every single human being in the united states anybody's education right uh but we didn't get any of that so i had a lot of like personal internalized issues and like feeling like well you know if i'm like trashy or bad or whatever then I might as well just like live up to that and like was very self-destructive and like very like I don't know I had a lot of complex feelings but I didn't have any understanding of them like any knowledge or yeah. like um back you internalized shame yes exactly I internalized and then I really took it out on my mom like really badly it was like well why can't you provide for me like do you not work hard enough and it was crazy because also she was like super and I this is like a whole nother thing that would take me 
many podcasts to unpack, but like, you know, she listened to a lot of conservative talk radio and w- watched a really? lot of, I know, she got really hard into Catholicism. She became a born-again Catholic when I was, like, born, like, around the time before I was born. And, and then... Um, She's probably trying to provide some sort of protection for you. Yeah, and, like, she, well, my grandfather converted to Catholicism, and, like, my whole family, like, that's how the family's Irish Catholic, but they were, like, super lapsed Catholics, and yeah. I guess my grandfather at that time had been extremely financially successful, and, like, he was, like, I think maybe like oh I should give back I should give thanks for this like blessing and like I'm me not being religious like I'm afraid that I'm gonna jinx myself or something like that like I'm gonna get into Catholicism and I'm gonna go really hard on like being involved and like bringing the word of God to people so they like went hard and like my grandmother joined and started being like okay yeah we're gonna be. The thing about Catholicism too is having grown up in that yeah, and um, having one parent who is sort of a deep believer but not a preacher about it, mm-hmm. not um, not constantly trying to remind you of what the system was. Um, and then my mom, who was very into it and taught in a Catholic school, but very much like, uh, this doesn't apply to us because yeah. I am not obeying anyone. Right. And it was a very strange, strange thing. Like they wanted all the confirmation and the communion and yeah. all that to happen for us. But I was also like very clear that this was not the thing that answered my questions. Right. Yeah. I really quickly was like, I'm not a Catholic. Like very quickly was like, I don't believe in God, to be honest. I was like, I had figured that out by the time I was like 11 or something. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not can I go to church anymore? I'm not getting confirmed. Um, but like, yeah, my family all got like super, not, not my dad. My dad was an atheist, is an atheist. Um, so that probably had an impact as well. But, um, and they also were divorced like when I was like two. So like I was like kind of living in both of the, my mom was my custodial parent, but you know, I spent time with my dad and he was like, a Democrat, like liberal and atheist. So I pretty quickly like adopted and like he was the one who like introduced me to satire and like the Simpsons and all of these things. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is way more up my alley. But, um, but yeah, so like my mom had these like really weird contradictory beliefs where she would listen to this like trash where they would like literally talk about like people being on welfare, being lazy and stuff like that. And she was like chronically ill and on welfare. And I'm like, okay, well you're not lazy. Like, but I didn't realize that. again until I got to college and I was given like a language for this so I had these feelings and these complex like emotions around class and like when I was 17 I got arrested um, for like drug possession on my graduation night and I remember very distinctly because my friends I a lot of my friends were like the very few kids of color in the school Mm because those were kids that like shared my class background so I ended up and again I didn't know this like I didn't have a language for this but this was just what I was like drawn to and um so and I remember when they were like oh yeah like when I like got my like sentence or whatever and I remember saying to my friend who's Puerto Rican like oh yeah like I'm so lucky and she was like well you're white like what do you mean and that was like my first time ever recognizing like what white privilege was like literally like I took getting arrested and that's when I was like okay wait I need to get I need to learn a lot of shit and I want to get involved in drug law reform because at that point that was like okay this is important and I'm getting a second chance I'm getting the benefit of the doubt I still get to go to college but like my friends won't and so I need to like fight this and then I luckily in college and also intentionally, I sought out like learning communities and classes and experiences that were really going to challenge yeah. me to understand 
identity deeply. And that kind of set me off on my trajectory. But if I didn't want to, like, I could have avoided it until I think about like 2010. You know what I mean? Like that. Now it's like much more in the public lexicon to like understand like like systems of power and privilege and oppression and like talk about it. We're willing to talk about it in different ways. Um, But I also think there's kind of a risk in that in the sense that like people are really good at mimicking like wokeness or like performing wokeness of like, Mm. oh, yeah, I figured it out, but not so good at like turning it in on themselves and being able to like think. That's always the hard part. Yeah. It's a, no matter how much information that's out there or you can consume, it's a way, uh, it's always when someone, it clicks for them. And it's very traditionally like someone out in the public eye, like a Republican will be anti some sort of legislation and then they'll have a family member that will show up and need something. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, I get it now. Right. And so like that's a public version of perhaps what happens to us individually where you know we're floating around in our life and we kind of don't even realize the things that we have that are bringing us up right that we have no control over but also we're that much further ahead because we're white or we came from a, a somewhat privileged socioeconomic whatever like I grew up in the suburbs yeah there was me and like two other black kids who had different names like yeah right exactly the only other Felicia I have ever met has been of color like Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were job interviews that I got because people saw my name and they thought I might be a person of color yeah or I got a job interview because I went to a certain school Mm-hmm. Or maybe I got a job interview because I was white. Or I was a woman and they wanted diversity and that was the easiest way they could do it. Right. So who knows? Yeah. And I, my parents also, you know, worked. Uh, I don't remember my mom or dad ever taking a sick day. My mom yeah. was a teacher. My dad was like, a, he worked a, a blue collar job his whole life, but he always worked overtime. So they sent us to private schools. Like, right. that's a lot of privilege. Right. That's a lot of jumps ahead. Yeah. And I mean, I recognize that I had privilege just in the sense of being at a highly resourced white suburban, you know, affluent school. Like, I had access to a radio station when I was in high school. Like, I did radio when I was 14, like, because of that. I was able to get an internship in in high school at a college radio station, like, because they had programs at the school that would let you do, you know, work study or, like, internships and, like, you know, and I had support from my counselors and, like, that's another big reason why I wanted to be an educator and wanted yes. to be, you know, to do provide these spaces and these supports for young people, partially because I did get some of those supports and partially because I know what it feels like to not get them right. or to not have a space where you can feel like you can be yourself or like feel like you can, you know, um, say say what's on your mind, you know, and be accepted for who you are. So how do you encourage the diversity of the uh, people who um, come to Somerville Access, T- Access um, Somerville's Media Center for yeah. programs or to do podcasts or TV shows? Yeah, so I think Somerville Media Center, I think we actually, we do a really good job of getting a wide variety of like adult participants because and a lot of the people who produce shows with us are immigrants. Um, however, like there are the difficulties, not just difficulties, like the systemic uh, displacement of immigrants and low-income people in Somerville has really affected us, like our membership base, right? A lot of our members are having to move away. Um, so that's... Because it's too expensive. Because it's far too expensive, yeah. Um, I mean, what we do, our model is to provide low-cost, you know, low-barrier-to-entry 
classes and opportunities for people to come in, anybody from any socioeconomic background or racial background to come in here. And we have staff who speak multiple languages. And I think we do a pretty good job in some ways. And then like not, you know, partially some of it we can't help because of the, you know, just market forces and because of the way that <laughs> we've bent over backwards for to accommodate developers while, our, while completely <laughs> ignoring the people, not completely, but in a lot of ways, ignoring the people who have lived here um, for a long amount of time, but maybe don't own their homes and are now getting pushed out. Um, so, you know, and then with this, the youth program, I mean, it's really interesting because I, my background is more working with young people. I, when I first came and moved to Somerville when I was 22, I got a job at the Mystic Learning Center. And so I was working in the Mystic housing development. So mm-hmm. with kids, um, and I was there for like four years. And those were kids who really um, were living with extreme poverty and, um, you know, many of whom had, you know, witnessed domestic abuse and um, some of whom had literally escaped, um, like, come from Haiti after the earthquake and, like, really, like, really challenging backgrounds uh, with a lot of and having experienced a significant amount of trauma. A lot of them had, you know, behavioral health issues and like emotional um, regulation issues and like a lot of that. But um, but that's where I honed my skill set. And those yeah. are the kids I love so much. And um, I mean, I love I love being able to provide be an educator to all kids. I think all young people, I'm really grateful to have, you know, a, an amazing community of young people in my life that, you know, um, I've been able to support and who have also like given me a lot, um, a lot, a lot. Um, what kind of things did you learn about yourself doing that work? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I'm still constantly learning a lot. What I, I was going to make a point about how like those kids, that's like where I cut my teeth. And now that I'm here in Union Square, just location wise, because we charge for programming, because we're not sub, we're not um, substituting for full time child care for a working parent. Like we, our populations have been um, skewing whiter and more affluent. And it's a different group of kids and a different skill set. And I still think that those young people like deserve and uh, a space where they can be themselves and they can be creative and they can learn really cool, um, you know, how to make a film and how to make a podcast and all these great things that are, are awesome for all young people. It's been hard for me to really figure out, like, how do we use, and this is partially, like, part of like what I do because I'm in charge of it so I can make these decisions to be like okay cool we're going to get these rich parents money and then we're going to put that yeah. towards free programming for me to go to these locations to yeah. go provide media education and we do do that but like I don't know it's going back to the question about what I've learned about myself like I've really like had a lot of my own like growth in the past few years as an educator be un- about recognizing how like to move away from just um, the idea that you're the only person for a young person like the only person that they can confide in um, this like martyr like saviorism which I, I've already like been pretty critical in, of um, in myself but like it's been more important recently because I think so much of my background and like my experiences and motivation for being an educator was to like right the wrongs of my own experience mm-hmm. and that's been really like important for me to shift in my thinking of like I'm not here to save this kid right I'm not I can be a resource and a support and a mentor to them. Mm -hmm. And I am to a lot of young people. Um, 
a lot of young people especially feel comfortable coming to me when they want to when they're coming out for the first time I've had those experiences with a lot of young people I've had really amazing long-term relationships with some of those kids that I knew back at Mystic are now graduating high school this year and those are kids I've stayed close with this whole time and I know will be a part of my life forever Um, but but moving away from the idea that I'm there to save them or because my goal is to help young people recognize how their power and help themselves mm-hmm. and help other people and see their purpose and um, giving them real, authentic, tangible ways to mm-hmm. make a difference, um, to learn real things and apply them in a way that is going to make them feel powerful and is powerful. Yeah. Um, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. That's a huge life lesson. A lot of people don't get that. I mean, a lot of people that do social service kind of work are in it because it does feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you also want to be recognizing, like, who is it? Are you really doing the work for? Like, you still doing the work right. for yourself? Right. Or are you doing the work for other people? It's a difference between looking down and being beside. Exactly. And like, uh, and so that's the thing, going back to even our conversation about identity and privilege and oppression, it's like, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to say I'm doing this for myself. Because guess what? If you are of the mindset, which I am of the mindset, and that I have to continue to commit myself to, that like, my, my future is bound up with the futures of those that I care about. Yes. And that is not yeah. just me. Like, it's not okay. Don't pretend that you're selfless you're doing this because you because you care about other people and that benefits you to take care of the people you love right there's nothing wrong with that that's that sense of like interdependence that i thought was was very important when i was conscious interdependence yes conscious yeah right exactly that was super important when i was learning and and getting kind of my education and experience in like organizing Mm -hmm. um that mentality of like you know we're in this together right and there are certain ways that i've been privileged and and given um, opportunities over other people and so my responsibility is not to pretend those didn't happen or to pretend that you know we're all on the same page but okay i care about your liberation there is that that quote that no it's yeah about liberations being liberation being bound up with one another that's probably paulo freire i think Mm -hmm. anyway um that our destinies are bound up with one another and so what it means is that I can make decisions like, okay, every single youth program that I run, I'm going to make sure that we have two slots for full scholarship and three slots for partial scholarship. Awesome. Or I'm going to know that like, if I'm in a position to hire interns, like I'm going to prioritize people of color, yes. you know, or LGBTQ people or people who are not cis men. Like those are, right. you know, those are my priorities and I am in that position of power to be able to make those decisions, right? Yes. And and so I don't shirk my power. Like it's it's stepping into it and recognizing, leveraging it, you right. know, for the greater good. But it's nice to like when I started my podcast, that was one of the things I wanted to try to be conscious of. And I realized that um, until a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't even interviewed a guy on my show. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like yeah. My first couple of That's for, definitely like, queer women. Yeah. And I was like, it was it was a lovely conscious thing. And I have reached out to. Um, people of color that I want to have on as guests too because I think that their stories are powerful and important and um, don't always get told so absolutely right and we don't always have platforms for it and that's why community media is so important yes that is why you need to support your local community media station whether it's Malden or Somerville or anywhere else because the FCC wants to take it away because they know that this is powerful and it's not just supporting it in a distance kind of way it's coming down and getting involved taking a program, taking a class, right? 
um, you know, I won't say that I'm not special or that you're not special, but <laughs> anyone can make a podcast. Yes, and it really can be can. interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, my idea is pretty simple. Like, I sit down and I talk to people. Yeah. Now, who would have thought I could have pitched that as a podcast? No, But everybody who listens, who actually listens to it says, I love it. I love yeah. that idea of sitting down and just, like, having a coffee and yeah. a table and kind of winding through different topics. And people are interesting when you give them a chance. It's really true. So. Well, I feel like that is, like, what a perfect wrap-up, Miss <laughs> Felice. I mean, it's your podcast, but, man, that was artful as your former teacher. I have to say, I'm. I'm Do you have any final thoughts, Heather? You'd like to share? Oh, um, first of all, just thank you so much yeah. for coming here and getting out of the out of the basement. No, I'm just kidding. Out I of the basement you. with um, the bad velvet painting. Yes, we have a velvet painting at MATV. Actually, I love bad velvet paintings. So. I wish it was a velvet. I really wish it was a velvet oh, Elvis because oh, that. Yeah. My brother in college had two velvet Elvises, and then a guy. It was a skeleton ghost rider on a motorcycle. And then they had a couch that they had gotten from the local um, uh, funeral parlor. Yeah. So it was like quite oh, the college. Yes. Yeah. It was quite the college jealous kind of, of thing. Um, no, but like seriously, thank you. And I'm so proud and excited. I mean, I love be- having the chance to listen to Hi Felicia, obviously, as an thank editor, you. but also to watch how you have really stepped into yourself and into this, um, you know, experience. And you took that one class which was like not even a year ago and really ran with it like thank you completely and um, you inspired me oh, you and your hair it's the hair <laughs> it really is the hair the hair is awesome i wish there was like a visual component to this because listen we can awesome. take a selfie after this there's yeah, no rules you're gonna have to take your it podcast <laughs> selfies are bad thank you so much for coming i really or thank you for coming and doing this with me yes. i actually came to you so thank you for inviting me to come and do this with you <laughs> And uh, in a different location. So this was a Hi Felicia podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Ryan. This is my guest, Heather McCormick. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. They all took and took and took from you and you gave. All that taking took you right down to your grave. Let's go.